1: Today's scripture is 1 Samuel chapter 24 verses 1 through 12. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my lord because he is the lord's anointed see my father look at this piece of your robe in my hand i cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you see that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that i am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion i have not wronged you but you are hunting me down to take my life may the lord judge between you and me and may the lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me but my hand will not touch
2: you. Amen. We are in the middle of a series on the life of David. What we're doing is we're looking at his life to see our own lives, to understand what it means to be fully, truly human. Now, the title of uh, today's sermon is, is called How to Forgive in Your Bulletin Online, but it really should be titled How to Exist with Others. How to exist with each other without perpetually being mad at each other, without perpetually hating each other. Culturally, I think we're, we're told right now to forgive, to, to let others off the hook, but we also are, are told to demand and have justice. These values, I think, actually often seem to contradict. They seem like, like they don't go together. They seem like to be constantly at odds at how to proceed in life. Is it any wonder that right now what we're watching, I think on a very mass level, is people opting out of relationships with each other, individually and collectively. We're seeing this happen on social media platforms, but in friendship circles, in various other communities, because we don't know how to stay together through the slights, through the hurts, through the disagreements. And if we don't know how to do that, how are we going to be able to stay together? If we don't forgive We're going to be mad all the time, but if we don't demand justice, there's going to be oppression. And so the question is, is how do we hold these two things together? That's the problem of our day. That's the problem of our cultural moment, and it's exactly what our text shows us this morning. So the text shows us three things. We're going to see three things, the importance of forgiveness, the importance of justice, and then the secret of keeping them together. The importance of forgiveness, the importance of justice, and then the secret of keeping them both together. So, first, the importance of forgiveness. Look at our text. David has by now, in this moment in, in the text, he's been anointed to be the next king of Israel. He should be on the throne, but Saul is still there. Saul has been trying to kill David, of course, because he that's the challenge to his throne. Uh, he tries to kill David twice, not once, twice with a spear. And so what David did the smart thing. He ran into hiding. And now that he's in hiding, he's in great fear. Because he doesn't know if this day is going to be his last. He doesn't know if uh, somehow in the middle of the night, he's going to not wake up. Because he's living in caves. He's foraging for food. He's on the run. Even though he should be king. Even though that he should be on the throne, he's living like a dog and it's not fair, and it's not right, and it's not justice, it's oppression, it's violence, it's it's not okay. And nothing would be better for David. Nothing could go more right in his life than getting rid of Saul. And look what happens in our text. Saul literally walks in, into the very cave that David was hiding in to uh, relieve himself. <clears throat> it is such a coincidence that the men that are with him are like this is amazing. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I mean, that, that they're essentially, they're, they're completely and utterly flabbergasted because what were the chances? Of all the caves in the world, of all the people in the world, Saul's here. And he's unarmed. He's, right, he, he's taken off his armor. He's taken off his sword because he has to use the facilities. Right? And that's it. This is our chance. Now, look how they back up their argument. They say to David, they say, listen, in verse 4, the Lord spoke this to you. Now, interestingly, this this prophecy is actually not mentioned anywhere in Scripture. Instead, what's going on here is this is an example of taking a circumstance and and putting a God stamp on it. God would never say, here, do whatever you want with this person. But that's what these men said. So they're trying to put a God stamp on it, and this happens all the time. How many times have you heard people say, in religious circles, I feel God is telling me to leave my job. I feel like uh, God's telling me I need to go somewhere else, or to do this, or to do that. Sometimes when I get really snarky, I go, wait a second, how do you know that's God speaking to you? How do you know you're hearing God right? Maybe it's your own feelings. Maybe it's something else. But you're putting a God stamp to legitimize your thoughts, and I find it endlessly interesting that we tend to, in Christian circles, interpret the signs. Amazingly, it's always w- what we want. Never considering that maybe we're just justifying our actions. If David had done that, uh, he would have um, come up with a narrative to kill Saul. And yet David, if our inner text doesn't take the bait, why? And the question is Why? Because in any other world, in any other civilization, even ours today, it's okay to kill a person who's trying to kill you. It's called self-defense. We have laws about it. So why is it important that David forgives here? Why? And I think there's a couple reasons. I'll give you two. First, because if he doesn't forgive, the cycle will continue. What do I mean by that? Um, Think about the times when you've been wronged. Like really, really wronged in your life. In those moments, there's an immediate debt. I call it a transaction. I used to say with college students, um, if somebody you know, took your phone and, and broke your phone, you know, what, what happens? There's actually only two possible options. Either they pay for the phone or you pay for the phone. Now, you know, there's always a payment. Right? If they pay for the phone, it's give me your money or give me your phone. Or if you give me neither one of those things, I'm going to extract payment by reporting you to the authorities or soiling your reputation or, or speaking ill of you. Right? There's a payment. Or guess what? You could pay for it by buying yourself a new phone. Or if you go without a phone, that's actually a form of paying for it because now you don't have it. But what's important to notice, this is what's important. When a transgression happens, a debt is carved out. And, and um, somebody has to absorb that debt. It doesn't just go away. It doesn't magically fleet. There is a cost. And what forgiveness is, it's when you are saying, I'll absorb the cost that you owe. I'll absorb, I'll absorb the cost that you owe. You stole my happiness. You, you took my job. You took my hope. And the injustice has been done. The transgression has been created. And forgiveness means that you absorb the cost and pay the debt. And so you suffer. Now, what happens if you don't forgive? It means that, what are you going to do? It means that you're going to work on trying to get payment back. You hurt them the way they hurt you. You make them feel the way that you feel, which means, ironically, you become like them. Which usually happens, and what happens is this. They hurt you, so then you, justified, there's that word, justified, you decide to do your part and get back. Of course, interestingly, isn't it interesting that they always tend, whatever your action is, they'll usually see your action towards them negatively. They'll see, they'll see it as an injustice on your part. They'll feel the punishment doesn't fit the crime. They'll feel like you're actually wronging them. They'll get hurt, and then they'll try to extract payment back on you. And so the cycle continues. And this happens on individual levels, but we're seeing it on a mass scale right now. And the only way to break the chain of, I'm hurt, so I'm going to get back to you, well then you hurt me, so I'm going to get back at you, is forgiveness when we absorb the cost. You short circuit, you stop the cycle. When you refuse to to give in to bitterness, when you um, refuse to be hurt and vengeful in reaction, which is, by the way, very natural, it hurts and it's painful Because you're absorbing the blow of the debt. But by taking the cost of forgiveness, it stops the evil from continuing. And that's why it's so important for David to forgive. us. the first uh, reason. Because if he kills Saul, what happens is then Saul's children will try to kill David. And if that happens, then David's children will go after Saul's children, and then those children will kill the children's children's children. Only if you suffer the blow and forgive and absorb and keep from reacting is there any hope for any peace for anyone because you need to know that bitterness that's in you is not going to go away it was stolen from you and you need to get it back or you need to absorb it because there's always another there's always someone else who's hurt there's always e- what happens is if you give back then that evil that entered you now enters them goes back out and it continues this is why mark 1125. Jesus literally says, wherever you're standing, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, forgive. It's an amazing verse because there's no if, ands, or buts. The only way for healing to happen is to forgive. And so before we move on, who haven't you forgiven right now, this morning? Who are you holding their crimes against them right now? And it's poisoning your heart. And it's poisoning your mind. It's poisoning your ability to enjoy even the simple things in life. Or at least enjoy that person or even move in those fears. Who haven't you released from the hurt and the hate? And it's killing you and it's killing them. Break the cycle. David did.
0: At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them which is why we hold a time of question and response, or q and after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at or... Join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquareredeemercom slash YouTube.
2: Now, the other thing that he did here that um, is important when it comes to forgiveness is if you don't forgive, you really can't seek justice without it. What do I mean by that? Um, there was a uh, New York Times opinion writer, um, Elizabeth Bruning, who said this this past summer. In reference to our current culture, she said, um, "There's just something unsta-, uh, This is what it says. There's just something unsustainable about an environment that demands atonement, but actively disdains the very idea of forgiveness." Theres something uns- un- sorry, there is something uns- un- yeah, unsustainable about an environment that demands atonement, but actively dis- disdains the very idea of forgiveness. In other words, what she's saying is our current culture, on both the left and the right, we see individuals demanding blood. They're demanding payment for the sins of the world as they see it. And let me back up for a second, because sometimes I'm not clear about this. I'm not saying each side is the same. That's too simplistic. I'm saying each side has a narrative of injury, of what's happened to them, what's wrong with the world, and then how to fix it. And each side demands that justice, but because each side right now is not, there is no forgiveness, there is no reconciliation, and with no reconciliation, there is no way forward. It's literally unsustainable. Jonathan Haidt, a professor at NYU, in uh, social uh, psychology. He notes that right now, he, he's studying this, that the, the edges of the left and the right, politically speaking, in our country, they've actually started to act very, what he calls, religiously. That the other side is not just um, you know mistaken. They're morally wrong. So each side has actually moralized their values and positions, which now means that people aren't misinformed. They're evil. And in so doing, we can't accept that evil of the other side. And so there's, since there's no offer or ability to forgive, we're more and more entrenched than ever before. And now without forgiveness, then what, if each side continues to act this way, then what's happening is, is people are walking around wounded by the side of the other, the debts that they feel like the other side has, has caused. And we're trying to extract payment from them. I'm the victim, you're the oppressor. No, I'm the victim, you're the oppressor. And there's this sort of race to to show that I'm the aggrieved party. And so what we're seeing here is aggrieved party against aggrieved party. No wonder this feels like an endless cycle because it is. There is no way in this space to get justice. All you're going to get is Vengeance. What's vengeance? Vengeance just inflicts punishment for an injury that, uh, or a wrong. But justice doesn't try to extrapolate payment. Justice restores the victim and the perpetrator. Real justice does it. It restores things back the way it's supposed to be. But you can only get justice through forgiveness. So hear me out. I'm not saying forgiveness is, I'll absorb the debt and, and now I don't care about justice anymore. No, forgiveness is dealing with and getting rid of the hurt and the hate and the natural reaction for payback in me. So now you can actually deal with the wrongdoer, not for your sake, but for their sake. That's what's so radical about this. Miroslav Wolf, Yale Divinity professor, put it so succinctly. He says this, uh, and I quote, he says, Forgiveness is not a substitute for justice. Forgiving someone does not mean you demand no change and no righting of of wrongs, but it provides the framework in which the quest for justice can actually happen. That's it. I think the number one problem right now is actually not that uh, nobody's caring about justice. It's that all sides have their narrative of what it will take. And yet before we deal with our vengeance, through forgiveness, we're never going to be able to get there. So go back into the cave with David. Go back. Do you know how easy it would have been to just, its just a flick of that knife and Saul would be dead and he could fast forward through years of hiding and fear and hurt and never knowing if he was going to wake up in the morning and depression and anxiety and PTSD and he doesn't do it. All of us right now are in the caves of our life, so to speak. All of us. And we're in the caves with each other. And it'll be so easy just to knife each other. It'll be so easy to do that. And if we did, the evil will continue unless you have utterly and completely forgiven that person who has wronged you, rightly or wrongly. When and if you confront them, it will not go well, unless you do that. It has to be for them. That's the importance of forgiveness. It's key. Now, what about justice? Second thing, what about the importance of justice? I'm not going to spend much time because I think our culture is it understands this, but I think you need to see that uh, David did too. That he cared about the rights uh, uh, to right the wrongs of the world. Go back to our text. Yes, he forgave David, uh, Saul, beginning in but beginning in verse eight, and following. I didn't know this. This is actually the longest recorded quote by David. So there's 114 Hebrew words here where he says essentially, yeah, I saved you, but I want justice. And he appeals for the truth. This, is, this begins in verse 9. He says, why, why do you listen to others that are saying I'm trying to harm you? Which, by the way, some commentaries point out he's listening to himself, but David put it in a context so Saul could hear him. He says, why are you listening to those people in verse 9? Verse 10, this day, right now, I could have done it, but I didn't. So it was he's he's now he's giving real live examples. Verse eleven, I didn't do what you think I did. I'm not guilty in your eyes. In other words, I demand justice, I demand the wrongs of you attacking me to be righted. And then the the, the, the climax of, of his speech comes in verse twelve when he makes no less than four, and some people you can find five appeals in verse twelve. What does he appeal to? He appeals for the Lord to be our judge, uh, for the Lord to decide between him, and you know between you and me. Um, I think the third thing was for the Lord to avenge him. Four, for the Lord to uphold him. Wait, do you see how important this is? This is why this is so important. Because David is in one breath forgiving Saul. I won't avenge you myself. But that doesn't mean he doesn't think the Lord shouldn't. See, David's not giving up on justice at all, because he also knows that that's important. And but yet he knows that it can't be him who starts it and enacts it. Uh, Another way to show you this is um, in our text. How many times there's this talk of hands? Verse six: I shall not lay my hand on him. Verse ten: You were delivered into my hand, but I will not lay my hand. Verse eleven. Nothing in my hand has wronged you. Verse 12, my hand will not touch you. Five times. And so when you see something repeated like that, what David is trying to show us is, it's not going to be my hands by which I get justice. Not ultimately. Because ultimately, he knows it has to come from the Lord's hand. This is Romans twelve nineteen. Literally, it says the exact same thing. It says, never avenge yourself. Paul says, Leave it to the Lord. You know, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. I will avenge. And that means we can live in peace because we know nothing will escape the eyes of our Lord. And so let me, be, let me try to be really really clear. I'm not saying this is like, wash your hands and be passive. Notice in our text, David, did not stick around to see if Saul would change. And he didn't go like, hey, put it there, buddy. Let's shake on it. no. David went back into hiding. He did a very active thing after he claimed for justice. He was not passive. He was active in pursuing that justice by preserving his own life. But he knew where it started and ended. He knew where justice started and ended. And the question is for us, is do we have that view? Because if we did, it would change how we pursued it. First, we would be more careful in how we went about it. Because if we knew this, it's actually the Lord working through us. Ultimately, we would see his hand in it and not our hand. We'd be more careful about how we went about it. We would actually check our hearts. We would ask ourselves, is this vengeance or justice? We would ask ourselves, are we caring not just for the victim, but for the perpetrator? Or we'd be asking ourselves, does this really restore things back the way it's supposed to be? But secondly, guess what? We'd be less worried. We'd be less worried that it wouldn't ultimately happen if we knew that he was our king, King over heaven and earth, and we knew that justice was just a matter of time. Listen to African American spirituals. If you listen to some of those songs, man, their lyrics written in slavery, and yet they knew the end was assured. It's what they allowed them to persevere. It was what allowed them to make the calls for justice in the first place. If we had that same assurance, it would change the way we talked about each other. It would change the way that we went about justice. David was able to keep forgiveness and justice together. He could do it in one single breath to tell these men, spare his life, and yet demand God to judge and bring about accordingly. And so, last point how do we actually keep these things together, right? That's the right question. How do we actually pursue justice through forgiveness? And I think the secret, the secret is to see that to actually forgive. It's not just what you do as an action. It's more of a state of being. I used to put this to my college students. I said, you know what? Forgiven people forgive. Period. Forgiven people forgive. To be able to really forgive well beyond your natural means, you have to know that you've actually previously already have been forgiven, which means your identity has to be primarily rooted in that, not your wealth, not your your status, not your job, your identity as a mother, as a teacher, as a doctor, a lawyer, even as a change agent of the world. That can't be your primary thing. It has to be, I am a Christian, which by definition means I am forgiven. If not, you will be bitter. When, when, when you can't forgive, what's happening in that moment is at some level you're saying, I would never have done it like them." I can't believe they would have done it like A forgiven person goes, maybe I didn't do it like them. But I've done things. Even David knows this. Look, in our text, David knew that he wronged Saul. In the passage, he cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and a lot of modern people we go, what why is that a big deal? And the answer is that David actually, by cutting Saul's tassel off, he made Saul's robe be in non-compliance to the Torah. So he made Saul break the law. And it was David's fault. Which is why in verse 5, he's conscious stricken. David needed to be forgiven too. And as we read further in the rest of his life, we know that. But even here he knew. You won't be able to do justice unless you forgive, but you won't be able to actually forgive unless you know that you're forgiven. That is the most, one of the most important things that we could learn. And what's the best way for us to know that we're forgiven? The cross. We had just said to right the wrongs of the world is to in the first part is that you have to absorb the costs of the hurts of others that they've done to us. Well, the cross is the place where the God of the universe, in the person of Jesus, through the sins of humanity, throughout all of time, absorbs that cost. Sure, you individually can forgive some, but you're not gonna be able to forgive all, not all those wounds. Some of those wounds are deep the pain that's been caused to you, the pain that's been caused from you. And so what Jesus is saying is that I will suffer. I will take that pain. And I'll do it without dishing it back out. He absorbed it fully and finally. And when you allow that to sink in, when you take a deep breath and say there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and you not just say that out into the world, you say that, There is now no condemnation for me. For me. And that flows out from you. The ability to forgive others will flow out of you as well. Jesus suffered injustice after injustice after injustice. He wasn't considered fairly, he wasn't treated fairly, he wasn't given the dignity and honor that he deserved, he was never understood by his peers. If you make that the center of your life, you too might not be considered fairly. You might never, you might never be considered fairly by your peers. You might never you might suffer impunity, forgottenness, hurt, without dignity and honor, but you know what you'll have? You'll have him through it. You'll have him. Because Jesus on that cross, and then through the resurrection, means now systems of oppression won't always be there, broken marriages, broken jobs, places where you were misunderstood, places where you were hurting, all the death, all the disease, all the world, Jesus went through it, he beat it, and the resurrection is proof positive and telling you right now that you are going to be able to be righted one day too. Now every time when you forgive, you know what you're doing? You're actually bringing the resurrection closer to bear on this world. It's a statement when you forgive to say the resurrection is going to happen. And it has happened in the past and it's going to happen in my life. As you release from the bonds of enslavement. Now you're able to release the ones who've hurt you too. I've been thinking about this all week. How do I apply this to myself? Well, when I was a kid, I was beat up a lot. I grew up here in the cities. The city in the 80s was a lot rougher than it was now, than it is now. And I think I I think I counted at one point I got beat up about 50 times. Maybe more. And what happened is is I wasn't protected the way I should have been protected. I didn't have a way to stop it. It hurt. Nobody was there to defend me. Nobody was there to tr- I could trust. And so fast forward now to 40-year-old Mike. I'm actually pretty good at forgiving people when it's like a a, a frontal assault like when I when I can see it. Cuz I know I'm forgiven. Where I struggle though, is when people accuse me of wrongdoing, when I haven't. When I don't feel like they trust me and I can't trust them. I didn't realize this until very recently, but the reason why I struggle with this is because it taps into these wounds from back then. Oh, you don't trust me? I knew I couldn't trust you, just like when I couldn't trust anybody when I was a kid. Oh, you're gonna come after me like that? Oh, great, it's just like how it happened on the playground. Oh, you're not gonna defend me? That's okay, I'm used to not being defended. It's it's, it's in those wounded spots that I can't let go, that I can't shrug off. Where are those wounded spots in your life? Have you done that deep dive yet? Because Jesus defeats the narrative of those injuries. If he died and rose again and I'm with him now, think through all the narratives that you have. The cross and the resurrection are saying to you, right now, God is saying, I have you. Jesus is saying, I love you. I trust you, Mike. I believe in you. I want time with you. I will defend you. Now Jesus doesn't promise that you'll never be hurt because when he went to the cross, you too will have crosses that will come in your life, but he did promise that he'll never leave you or forsake you. Not even death now can can keep you from me. And so, what if they don't have your favor? You have God's favor, Mike. So what if you don't have their trust? You have his. They may wrongly accuse you, but he was as well, and he'll never will. You don't have their approval anymore? Well, you know what? We have his. We don't need their power anymore because we have his. Jesus defeated the powers of sin and death. He changed and transformed us through his love and substituted himself for us so we can let go of those things we don't have to knife people in the caves of our life we don't have to get back what they stole from us because he's given us what we ultimately need friends don't seek vengeance he's brought justice through the cross and resurrection it proves that we're going to get justice in the end he'll have to go out first armed with that now, now, now you can go out and right the wrongs of this world for the sake of the world but not for your, our own sake it flows out of a changed life. If the core of Christianity is Jesus dying for his enemies, and you put it at the core of who you are, we will seek justice by dying for our enemies too. Your political enemies, your co-working enemies, your, 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 your family enemies, let them out of the cage of your life, and you will be able to emerge from it too. Henry Smart put uh, in his hymn put it better than anything. He said, "For not with swords loud clashing, nor rolling, sorry, for for not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, but deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we so desperately, we know we're supposed to. Be men and women of justice, but also men and women of forgiveness, and we don't know how to keep it together. Help us to see that this is the order, that we can only get justice through forgiveness. And often, Father, if we're honest with ourselves, we haven't even we haven't started with forgiveness. We haven't started with letting people off. We demand them to apologize first, Father. Forgiveness is independent of if somebody acknowledges what they've done. That might be the hardest part because you know what's happening when we demand that? We're still wanting payment. Help us to really, really say all payments have been settled in you and you will not let anything go by. And therefore, with that trust, we can go out and be servants and agents of change. We can actually go out and actually do things, Father, but not with a chip on our shoulder, not with a axe to grind. But, but, Father, as, as those who are like you, Father, help us to put you at the core of who we are. If you are, the core of Christianity is a man who dies for his enemies. Father, help us to, if that's who we are, help us to die for our enemies too. Our family enemies, our co-working enemies, our political enemies. Help us to die for them. We pray things in your name.
0: Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit linconsquare.redeemer.com.